Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56 is, is what we're going to be looking at. Mary, uh, we, we sing about her, we, we, we always put a blue sash on her for some reason, um, who knows why. Uh, she wore brown like everybody else. But anyway, it, it was, we, we, we do that to, to make her stand out. We, but we don't know a lot about her. I mean, we, we, we have some details in Scripture, and then there's some things we can glean. Uh, we want to begin there this morning. And, and these uh, four lessons over these next four Sundays, we're go- going to look at some background of, of these characters, Mary this week, then Joseph then Simeon, then Anna. We're going to look at some of their history. We're going to see who they were. We're going to see what Scripture says about them. Then the, the application is more toward the end of the, these sermons. Instead of as we go through, I'll, I'll point out a little bit as we go, but the, the big idea, the, the main takeaway the, this morning over the next four messages will come toward the end. So, so uh, be prepared for that. And, and know that we are going somewhere as we move through this. But first, we want to get an idea of who was Mary, or, or who Mary was. Now, uh, she was likely of meaningless royal descent. Oh, why is it meaningless? It, because Rome was in charge. Um, the, her royal pedigree did not get her any standing, and based on what we can tell. Now, we've got two different genealogies for Jesus, if you're familiar with that. Matthew chapter 1 gives us a genealogy, and Luke chapter 3 gives us a genealogy. Matthew's genealogy is, um, is theological. Uh, he, he talks about generations. He talks about numbers. We know that there were a lot more people in between some of the people that he mentions, and that was very common in this day and time. It did not necessarily mean this person was the dad of this person, but that this person was the ancestor of this person. You hit the important ones. You leave out the ones you don't want people to know about. Uh, you, so that was the, the genealogy in Matthew. That's why he got 14. Uh, Matthew did between Abraham, from Abraham to David, then David to Jesus. Luke doesn't seem to be focused as much on the theology of her genealogy as just the royal descent. And there are all kinds of debates about the genealogies. Why are they different? Uh, why, do they, why do they go through some names and suddenly it connects here and then goes different names again? Well, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. All sorts of theories. Nobody knows uh, for sure. Uh, I think I've talked about this in, on previous, uh, Christmas, in previous Christmas series. Um, I go with the theory that Matthew follows Joseph's lineage and Luke follows Mary's lineage, but it says Joseph. It was customary in the day. I mean, at the end, it says Joseph was the father uh, supposed to be, uh, assumed to be the father of Jesus. It was customary in the day in that day, if uh, the, the groom, uh, if the groom's father was dead, he didn't have any family, that the father of the bride would adopt the groom as his own son. Now, it doesn't make the marriage weird or anything like that. What it does is allows, especially if the father of the bride didn't have any sons. 
Because now suddenly everything he owns gets to go to his son-in-law. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that Luke traces this this, um, biological lineage down to Mary. And then because it needed to uh, talk about the dad at that time, says, and Joseph, the son of, adopted son of, Mary's dad, uh, was... uh, Uh, where it ends up. So that's a good theory. Who knows if it's accurate or not? There are all kinds of theories out there. We just don't know. What we do know is that in both genealogies, we have uh, a royal line from David following different uh, paths. But again, it didn't mean anything at this time. The fact that she was royal or had royal blood or descended from David only backed up the claim that had already been made both in prophecy and in the Gospels, that Jesus was of the line of David. And he was doubly so, his adopted dad and his biological mother. He was of the line of David. But it didn't matter at this time. Mary is from this rural backwater town of Nazareth, when uh, Nathaniel heard about this Messiah guy, this teacher, this rabbi, and he found out he was Jesus of Nazareth, his response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not looked at fondly. It was a, it it, it was on the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee. It was from an area that was highly, uh, Greek, Roman, as well as Jewish. It was a blended group. It was a small town, maybe a few hundred to a couple of thousand people. Uh, I don't know what we would compare it to around here. Um, John Watson's not here, so I can say this. Maryville, maybe. Uh, you know, just small community. Uh, maybe Singer, Jr. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick on you because you're here. Uh, it was that kind of place. Singer seems like it's a little more... I, I, at a crossroads. Uh, it, it, this would have been a place where the road ended, uh, where you just really had to be going there to get there. It wasn't on one of the major highways. It was not. So she was, she was royal-ish. She had the bloodline, but no standing. She was from nowhere. She was about 13 years old, which was very common. It was common uh, to be betrothed at 12, 12 and a half, Oftentimes, the, the husband uh, was 14. Uh, they grew up quick back then. Uh, so she's a female, about 13 years old. She had absolutely no status because of that. She, she, she had no claim, no, no inheritance, no nothing. She, Mary, was a nobody. I mean, she, she was a kid from a backwoods town with... Uh, a descend, uh, with a lineage from David that didn't matter to anybody. And yet God chose her. There was nothing temporal that earned this calling. But God chose her. She was chosen by God, and then she was willing when the call came. And that's what our lesson is this morning. Lessons in willingness. Now why was she chosen by God? First uh, Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart." 
God knew that Mary was who he wanted. But there was nothing spiritual that earned this calling either. She wasn't a great uh, 13-year-old prodigy theologian. Uh, She wasn't any of these things. She was nobody. So what's the lesson that we begin with? We do not earn God's favor in a calling, but we can be ready when that calling comes. We're not chosen because we are favored. We're favored because we're chosen. We'll focus on that in just a minute. Luke 1, 26 through 56 gives us the story. I'm going to read the whole thing just so we can get some good background on our passage. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled. Notice this. We're going to talk about it. Deeply troubled by his, this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And that's our focus for this morning. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham, remembering his mercy, mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. You see five attitudes of, of willingness, five attitudes of preparation for willingness. We're, we're going to talk about them as, as Mary is described here, and we see them 
sometimes almost in, as a response to the calling. But what we need to understand is that they are attitudes, they are uh, uh, characteristics that she already had. She was prepared to hear from God at some point. She never thought this would happen, something like this would happen, but her heart, her mind, her, her posture was toward God all of her life. That is our lesson today, to have that attitude, these attitudes, so that we are willing when our time comes. The first attitude we see from Mary is humility. And we see that specifically in verses 28 and 29, where it says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, it's unsettling enough uh, simply that an angel shows up to talk to you. Uh, Some dude who looks different from everybody else in some way suddenly pops up in front of you and starts talking to you. That's going to unsettle you. All right, so fear not, he says, uh, do not be afraid in verse 30, because he understood this is odd. They tell the shepherds the same thing when they show up on the hillside. Pretty much any time an angel shows up, realizes the first thing I got to tell them is, don't be afraid, not here to hurt you. So we, we see that, but then the, the, the fear is, is overcome, as we see in the passage, by what he said. She was troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting. Now, it's interesting that Luke uses two different words here. The statement that he's talking about is, the Lord is with you. She was troubled by the statement and wondering what kind of greeting, where he says, greetings, favored one or favored woman. So she has had her mind blown triply. Right here at the beginning, an angel shows up, says, greetings, favored one, favored, uh, me, the Lord is with you. Yeah, I know he's with me, he's always with me, but what, what exactly do you mean he's with me now? Why, what, what, what particularly causes an angel to show up to tell somebody the Lord is with you? She was troubled by these things. The, 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 I, the idea that she was favored, the idea that the Lord was with her, apparently, specially at this moment. Why was she so confused by this? Well, she's a 13-year-old girl in a backwater town with the right bloodline, but nobody cares. She was nobody, but more than that, she didn't just know she was nobody, she understood her unworthiness. If you look throughout this passage, and if you look through any other passages that talk about Mary, there is no mention of her worthiness. There's no mention of God coming to her because she was the perfect vessel to carry the Son of God. No no virgin birth from her mother. No immaculate conception of her. No, uh, no, there was nothing special about this girl until she was chosen. She wasn't special beforehand. Now, I'm going to belie that just a little bit as we move through the passage. There were some things that were special about her. But what made her special was 
the fact that she was just a faithful follower of God. That's what made her special. She wasn't more or less a follower. She wasn't more or less perfect than anybody else. She was nothing like that. She was as unworthy to carry the Son of God as any of us are today. Or maybe I should say any of you ladies. I got other issues. She was favored by being chosen. There was no favor that led to being chosen. Do you see the difference? God wasn't searching the planet and saying, man, I wish I could find somebody to be good enough to be the, the, the mother of my son. <gasps> There's Mary. I should have thought of her a long time ago. Well, she's only 13. I couldn't have thought of her a long time ago. It wasn't that sort of situation. He chose the vessel at the point in time from the place she was special in that she ticked all the boxes, whatever the boxes might have been, but it wasn't anything she did. She didn't choose Nazareth. She didn't choose her birth date. She didn't choose her bloodline. God chose her. As we move through this, we need to see and understand in our lives, God's calling isn't based on our worthiness or ability. Our spiritual gifting, our, our membership in the body, our, our gift, our tool that we are giving to edify and build up the body of Christ, that doesn't come from us. We weren't chosen to be a part of this body uh, uh, because we were so good or whatever. We were selected, we were called, and then given the gift that we needed in order to be a part. But it wasn't our worthiness or our ability. It was the selection, the choosing of God. The second attitude that Mary shows is purity. Characteristic, maybe, instead of attitude. Purity, verse 34, Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Now this is merely one example of her purity. I think as we read this, we can get the idea of, of her purity of thought, her innocence, and those sorts of things. But for this particular task that she will be called for, this is probably the most important uh, characteristic that she could have, uh, the, the, the most important way she could show her purity. Because questions had to be removed. God knew what it was going to be like for her to tell her parents and to tell Joseph and to tell the town of Nazareth, where most people probably knew her, because half of them were probably related to her. So it was important that she was not known as a young lady of uh, looser morals, we'll say. Where anybody could have said, well, no telling whose kid that is. It had to be someone who knew right from wrong and practiced it especially in this particular way. Now, this isn't legalism. This isn't, well, if you're a sinner, God can't use you. That's not what we're talking about here. We would see this more clearly, I believe, as we move through the New Testament and understand what God calls us to. Again, she didn't earn the call because of her purity, but she was fit for the call because of her purity. Uh, let's work through the, some of the passages that tell us about this. Galatians 
5, 22, and 23, where we learn of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these such things there is no law. Those are, those are areas in our life, those are outworkings of the Holy Spirit in us that aren't legalism that, oh, well, if you're not perfect, you're not saved. That's not what we're saying. We're not even saying God can't use you if you aren't perfect. But what we are saying is that a life that prepares for the calling of God prepares by following him and knowing right from wrong and practicing it. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And then finally, Romans 12, 1 and 2, a verse I've talked about, a lot about here lately. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I believe that is the image we get of Mary here. So that she was prepared for whatever would come in her life from God. She did not expect, backwoods, Nazareth, 13-year-old girl, any sort of major responsibility, but any follower of God, any believer should expect at any time the leading of God to fulfill some call on our lives, some mission, some endeavor, some work for Him in the body of Christ or in the kingdom uh, to bring others into the kingdom. That's what we see from Mary. She embodied these verses that were going to come much later in time. So we need to see as we move through this that your call may depend on your purity in some area. God likely will not use you as a, 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 a listening ear, as a comfort, as a counselor to other believers, an important part of the ministry of, of the body of believers, an important gift in the church, God will not use you in that area if you're a gossip. Just makes sense, right? Well, purity in some area may affect how God will call you. Purity in this area prepared her, positioned her for this call. Number three, the, the third characteristic, the third attitude we see of Mary is servility. Yes, that is a word. Servility. Verse 38 tells us her response to this amazing announcement that confused her and, and, and unsettled her. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Here is our hinge, our linchpin of willingness, servility. She was slavishly submissive. Slavishly submissive. This was no small calling. This wasn't pay for that couple's meal at the table across the restaurant. Well, that's easy, Lord. Got that one. Man, at least I didn't have to talk to him. This wasn't a minor thing. She is going to carry 
the Son of God, for nine months, then raise him for years, all the while having to convince people, no, this is not the result of loose morals on my part. In the course of a two-minute conversation, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. See, when God spoke, she obeyed. And that's all there was to it. I mean, she asked questions, right? She, hold on, hold up a second. Um, Further back, how, how can this be? Verse 34. What makes them ain't happened yet. I'm not sure how I'm going to carry anybody's baby because there ain't been anybody. I mean, she's, she's asking legitimate questions. These questions, though, this question didn't express doubt. It sought clarity. We go back and read the, the beginning of chapter 1. We see Zechariah's question in the temple when he learns that Elizabeth is going to have a baby and they're going to name him John the Baptist, or name him John. The last name came later. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't seek clarity. His question was doubting. It was from a place of, that can't happen. We're too old. It was doubt. Mary had legitimate questions. There are certain mechanics here that haven't mechanized. Uh, so how am I going to have a baby? And God says, don't, I mean, the angel says, you know what? Don't worry about it. That's going to be taken care of. You just submit to my call. And verse 38, she does. She submits. Slavishly submissive. As a slave to Christ, as you and I move through this passage, we must see that obedience should be immediate. Obedience should be immediate. There, there can be time for questions, for, for clarity, and maybe we get clarity. Maybe he explains something to us, and maybe he doesn't. But when he says jump, I don't think we ask how high. I think we jump, and we keep jumping until he says, all right, that was high enough, good job. And maybe he'll say, I need you to jump this high. Maybe he won't say. Maybe he won't. He'll give a direction to jump. Maybe not. But we just need to start jumping when the Lord says jump. Obedience should be immediate. Our response to our calling in our lives, whatever that calling may be, is I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Fourth attitude we see from her is certainty. Certainty. Verse 45. We actually get this from the lips of Elizabeth, who knows something's going on as soon as she sees Mary, because she knows how special her baby is. She's already been told. Uh, she knows how old she is, and this shouldn't have happened. And she knows he's going to be a special baby. They got all that. Zechariah has had his prophecy. Elizabeth knows what's up at this point. And when she sees Mary, her baby jumps, and Elizabeth gives this song of prophecy in verses 42 through 45. But she ends it by saying, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill. I think we see two 
aspects of Mary's certainty here. First, Mary was certain that it would happen. That's that first section, that first word. She Blessed is she who has believed. Mary believed that God would do what he said he would do, no matter how crazy it sounded. I'm going to have a baby? Really? I believe. It's where she went. It's where she stopped. A virgin having a baby doesn't happen. No recording of it. That just, you know, certainly hadn't happened in Nazareth. I believe. Mary was certain that it would happen. But it didn't just stop there. She didn't just believe that it would happen. She believed that everything after it would work out. Mary was certain it would work out. She was certain it would happen, but it would also work out. It, it, it doesn't take a, as much faith to believe it will happen. The Lord says, I'm going to take you to a foreign country as a missionary. Okay, I believe that can happen, and we're all going to die. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's how it will work out. Maybe that was the point and the purpose, but maybe there's some broader, greater plan here, and God's going to work that plan out too. Or, I'm sending you, how am I going to get there? Wait, wait and see. I'll take care of that. I believe in the call, I believe that I'm going but Mary believed that everything, all the details would work out at the end. You're going to have a baby, and all those issues that come from you at this point in your life having a baby, they will all work out. She believed that God would take care of the outcome no matter how crazy it sounded. She believed it would happen. She believed it would work out. Even, even the part about telling Joseph and her parents. We, as we work through this passage, need to understand that a calling from God is a guarantee of its planned completion. If God sets a direction, if God sets a call on our lives individually or corporately, then he will work it out. Does it mean he'll work it out the way we think he ought to work it out? Oh no. He does not consult with us. He doesn't think, he doesn't sit down and say, now I wonder what Michael thinks, or I wonder how Michael thinks this should go. Not my concern. My concern is to follow the call, believe in the call, and trust that he will fulfill it. A calling from God is a guarantee of its planned completion. And finally, number five, the attitude we see from Mary in this lesson in willingness. We see in her song, the Magnificat, they, they call it. Um, I'm sure it's based on the Latin translation of one of those words. And if I were more educated, I'd have told you exactly which word. Verses 46 through 55. Mary worships the one who did all this. She understands her role in this. She understands uh, that, that this is pretty incredible that it's happening to her. But she worshiped God. She didn't worship her greatness. Go back to characteristic or attitude number one, humility. 
She knew this was not about her at all, yet she did understand that God would call me, Mary, choose me, Mary, to do this, is mind-blowing. And her worship here is a result of what she already knew about God and already knew about herself. God's great, I'm not. God's perfect, I'm not. God has a plan, and I was just trying to figure out what we're going to eat tonight. God is in control, and I am not. If you remember the big idea from last week, God is God, and I'm not. She knew her place. And so, in response to all this, the calling of having the baby, the visit to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's words, she worships. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't complain. She doesn't gripe. She doesn't try to find a way out. I mean, I, we don't have every emotion that went through her head. We don't know what the, some of the sleepless nights entailed for her as she poured over this and poured over it and cried about it. And You know, we understand she was human. She had all of those things. But what the Bible has uh, recorded for us, what God chose for us to know about her emotions at this time is that she worshipped. Verses 48 and th- uh, through 50 tell us uh, of her realization that God is great to her. This, this calling was incredible, that, that she would be used by him. God was, you have done this for me. You have chosen me. Out of all the 13-year-olds in the world, I'm the one you have chosen. Mary understood that it was an incredible burden and blessing to be chosen by God. So she puts that in her worship. You have done a great thing for me. Y'all, there's nothing wrong with understanding that when God calls us, when God places a burden on us, when God equips us for a particular task, that we can celebrate, that we can worship God for choosing me. Wow. That's what she did here. But she also understood in verses 51 through 55 that God is great to Israel and ultimately all humanity. Talking about uh, his mercy from generation to generation, the mighty deed with his arm. And she is using past tense words, to verbs, to express a present tense reality. It's a nice little mix of God's uh, back then and right now. You've done this and you're doing it. You were great and you are great. You did a mighty deed back then. You've really done a mighty deed now. You scattered the proud. You're scattering the proud. Uh, you know the thoughts. You, you toppled the mighty from their thrones, exalted uh, the, the lowly, satisfied the hungry, sent the rich away empty. And then we're talking about Israel. But in verse 50, we get this hint that it's more than just Israel. The grafting in of, of the Gentiles. His mercy is from generation to generation. On who? Those who fear him. Not just Israel, but all those who fear him. She worshiped the one who came to save her people and who came to save all people. And in verse 55 of her worship, she realizes, she expresses, 
She worships God because he is faithful. Abraham, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. She understood this was a promise that had been in the makings for a long time. And here she was at the apex of that promise. And she worshipped God. We must see that a heart inclined to worship is a heart inclined to willingness. If we have already spent our time worshiping God when he calls us and, 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 and uh, appoints us, gives us a task, then our response is to continue worshiping because this was what she already knew about God. She knew these things. She knew the past. She knew what God had done and what God had promised and what he had been in her life and in the life of her people and in the promises to all generations and how they would come from near and far to worship him. So when the call came and when the response came and when she was commanded or or, uh, expected to be willing, she worshipped in willingness. I will magnify the Lord. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. Because he is called. Her heart was inclined to worship. And therefore she was inclined to be willing. So what's our takeaway this morning? It's our attitude of willingness. I touched on it as we move through, but let's really nail it down. Our attitude of willingness begins with humility. We are not worthy of God's call. We're not worthy of salvation. I mean, let's just start there. We don't earn our salvation. We're not worthy of the spiritual gifts that he gives us to edify and to build up the body of believers. We're not worthy of any of that. We are certainly not worthy of the call that he has placed on each and every one of our lives. And yes, if you are a believer in Jesus, he has a call on each and every one of your lives. You have a specific task to perform in the body and in the kingdom. Number one on that list, share the faith. Every believer is a missionary. We are all called to take the gospel. But we're not even worthy of that, are we? And that's the message of the gospel. Don't brag about your unworthiness, but rest in it. I, I can't share. I, I'm nobody. I'm, I, I, am, I am just a sinner saved by grace. Exactly. It's what we all are. Humility, we are not worthy of God's call. Number two, purity. Practice righteousness in preparation. In preparation of the call. She was specifically, or at least particularly, prepared for the calling of carrying the Son of God. That probably won't be your calling. can completely rule out half of you this morning. The other half, chances are, that's done with. You're not going to carry the Son of God again. But even so, there are things in our lives that we must avoid, that we must set aside, that we must move away from because they are hindering some call in our lives. We must practice purity, practice righteousness in preparation for that call. Number three, servility. We must know our place. 
We are servants. We are slaves to Christ. And what servant, what slave gets to pick what he or she gets to do? None of them. We are commanded. We are given a task and we must fulfill that task. Servility says when God calls, we know our place is to respond in obedience and nothing less and nothing else. For certainty, our callings sometimes do not fit with what we think should happen, how it should happen, or even if it could happen. But certainty is faith that God can and will do it. So if he has called us to it, he will see us through it. It's a cliche and it rhymes, but it's right. If he has called us to a task, he will see us through to the end of that task. We must have faith in the calling and faith in the outcome. It's a dual faith in this case. And then lastly, we must have piety. Take it away. Your takeaway is to have a worshipful heart, to be prepared to hear from the Lord so that when the easy task comes, praise the Lord, I got an easy one. When a hard task comes, praise the Lord, he has equipped me for the hard one too. So that worship is the result. And this attitude, this attitude of willingness with these five characteristics or these five sub-attitudes or whatever you want to call them, this attitude is what makes us ready for any call. What is God going to call you to tomorrow? You don't know, me either. But if we approach God with humility, purity, servility, certainty, and piety, we will be ready for whatever call. Think you're too old to go in the mission field? <laughs> no, you're not. Think you're not smart enough to share the gospel? Yeah, you are. Think that person across the street or at the restaurant or whatever is just too far gone, that it's too uncomfortable? No, it's not. You're not prepared? Doesn't matter. You are prepared. You are ready if, if you take the lesson of willingness from Mary. Now, as believers, all five of these are necessary to make yourself ready and willing. You can't really pick one and say, well, I'll do this and not the other one. doesn't work that way. But as unbelievers, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the first one is really what's necessary to begin your journey. The, the others, piety, uh, purity, servility, certainty, and piety, those will come as you follow Jesus, as you submit yourself to him. But this morning, you may need to have the humility to say, I need to follow Jesus. And it may take humility because you've been in this church or any church a long time. You've, you've given all the correct answers. You've got the head knowledge, but, but you don't have the heart change. Uh, you, as an example, in our uh, discovery class, you, you, salvation, faith is a, a parachute. Salvation is a parachute. I, you can grow up in church and wear the parachute. And you've got the parachute. I know all about the parachute. Know how it works and everything. I know when I pull this ripcord, the parachute pops out and, and, and I'm saved. But if you never pull the ripcord, you never experience salvation, do you? You're just falling through thin air thinking, I got the parachute. I'm good. I've been in church all my life. I'm good. But you've never pulled the ripcord. And you know what's going to happen at the end of your life? You smush right into hell. Because you've been free-falling and you never pulled the cord. 
So, believer, you, unbeliever, you might need to start with, you do need to start with humility. You need to understand that God's design was for perfection, that God's design was for his people to have perfect relationship with him, and then we messed it up with sin. Sin always messes it up, and sin leads to brokenness. Sin is disobedience. Sin is, even as a believer, saying, God, that's your calling? No thanks, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But as an unbeliever, it doesn't just break uh, communication and fellowship with the Lord as sin in a believer's life does. As an unbeliever, it sends you to hell. That's what sin does in the life of an unbeliever. It breaks your life, of course. My page just totally went away. I should have this memorized, though, right? It, it, it's brokenness. It, it, it ruins things. It, it causes problem after problem. And then the gospel is the fix. The gospel is what solves it. The gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The baby we celebrate that we decorate for dying on the cross as a man, taking our sin and our punishment, and us believing and repenting, repenting of our sin, turning from that sin, and believing in Jesus for salvation. And then we recover and we pursue God's design. We get to be more like God. Part of God's design is willingness, accepting the call when it comes, and telling other people about Jesus. So if you need that salvation this morning, now's your time, now's your chance. Respond in faith to him. Believer, maybe you've got these five attitudes you need to work on. We're going to have a time of invitation where we can do that. Time of response. Let's pray first, though. Father, we thank you that you work on our lives, that you continually call us back. You renew our faith. You, God, you... mold us, you redirect us, you, you rebuke us, you discipline us, but it's all to make us better, to make us more prepared for the next calling on our lives. And as believers, Lord, I pray that we would take the lesson from Mary today. We would seek humility and purity. We would understand our servility. We would exemplify certainty and Lord our life would be a life of worship and piety so that we are prepared to do what you have called us to and God I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior someone listening that you would speak to their hearts and you would draw them in today and that they would follow you uh, and accept your son as their Savior trusting him for their salvation repenting of their sin and being sure of their eternity and their forgiveness. God, I pray that you'd work on every heart here this morning. Move in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's just like last week, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're just going to pray. Uh, no singing, uh, just two or three minutes. Uh, Mindy's going to play through the song, and I want you to come to the rails if that's what you want to do. Pray with Tom or me. Turn around in your seat, kneel, stand, sit, whatever it is you need to do in order to pray. And that's going to be our focus for the next few minutes. And then when Mindy decrees, we'll start singing.
And that'll be your opportunity then if, if you've prayed and now you want to make some sort of response. Maybe then you want to come to the rail. Then you want to share it with the church. If you want to join us as a body of believers or you want to make known your decision to trust Christ or to follow him in baptism or some other work that he's doing. But it's going to be focused prayer first and then worship of our Lord second. So let's stand as Mindy plays, you come and pray, and then we'll sing. But we do business with God this morning for the next few minutes. <laughs>